Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh says, smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. to care with Korak. This is Josh, your host. Today we have episode three with Kendall Ryan. Super great guy. I'm super excited for this episode. This episode's a little bit different, which I kind of mentioned in the beginning of the interview. Uh, And this is a personal mental health journey. I'm really grateful that Kendall reached out to me when I um, put out on Instagram for people to share their personal stories and feel super honored to sit in on his time and sharing his life with me. We've known each other for a while. We went to elementary and high school together, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot you don't know about people, and I certainly learned a lot about Kendall and um, just about the strength he has and so much more, which you're just going to hear in this. This episode's really great. A little bit about Kendall. Kendall Ryan is a former collegiate athlete who suffered from multiple concussions that led to him ultimately being medically disqualified from the sport he grew up playing and ultimately created his identity around. In part due to the concussions and having to give up football for medical reasons, Kendall suffered from depression and anxiety in his day-to-day life through the latter half of his collegiate stint. After college, Kendall found himself working in technology sales when he moved to Chicago and found his passion for travel. For about two years in Chicago, he found himself moving to Atlanta, Georgia to work for a new organization and explore a new city. He lived in Georgia for roughly half a year until COVID-19 hit. During COVID, Kendall realized our own country has so much to offer from a learning standpoint, thus pushing him to continue to travel and meet people across the United States. Kendall now lives in Seattle, Washington, and works for a global company where he works with hyper-growth companies to support their ambitious growth goals. Kendall is a lifelong traveler and is always looking for a new location to explore. He strives to live by the motto, the only language all humans speak is emotion. If we can understand emotion, we can understand a person. If we can understand a person, we can create a positive, lasting impact. In this episode, Kendall and I talk about his mental health journey with what playing football meant to him, the impact of leaving the sport after receiving his multiple concussions, toxic masculinity, and so much more. It took a lot of bravery for Kendall to share this story, especially as one of the first personal stories on this platform that I'm sharing with you guys. And I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge what he's doing with this and acknowledge his vulnerability in sharing. As men, it is not easy to share about mental health struggles and to be vulnerable, and Kendall really stepped up as a leader in that regard. So thank you, Kendall. I learned a lot from you during our time together, and I'm hopeful that others can gain hope from this story. For more information on Kendall, check out his social media at Kendall, double underscore Ryan, double underscore again. 
Follow me on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube for video clips, podcast previews, and more mental health content at Josh Korak. All right. I think that's pretty much it. Let's get into it. This is Care with Korak with Kendall Ryan. We are live. <laughs> hey, Kendall. How Welcome to Care with Korak. <laughs> thanks for having I'm me. doing well. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited about this. This is, um, I mean, you're the first person I'm going to be doing this personal style interview with. So super excited about it. Yeah. So, um, well, why don't you just kind of introduce, introduce yourself pretty briefly and, uh, and then we'll get going. Yeah, perfect. Um, Kendall Ryan, I'm, I'm an account executive today at, at Twilio, but um, obviously believe that, that we're, we're more than what we do. So originally from Colorado, mm-hmm. actually, Josh, obviously, for your, for your listeners, uh, Josh and I know each other from, from way back, um, elementary school, way back school. in the day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, high school. So it's, it's good to reconnect with you, but um, yeah. obviously former football player never let that go from the identity but um that's a little bit about who i am and uh what i'm doing now yeah just working in sales yeah slinging awesome slinging (laughs) (laughs) traveling the world yeah yeah exactly that's crazy yeah i mean i'm gonna have a you know a whole little introduction about you in the beginning but um no yeah that's great because um what year did you graduate high school again? 2014 is when I when I graduated high school, and that's uh, okay. That's when I went to the University of Northern Colorado. Yeah, right after that. Right. Yeah. Right. I was uh, 2016, so you were two years, two years ahead of me. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't know if you knew this, but that's where I got my master's degree. Actually, was through UNC. I actually didn't know that. So you probably know some yeah. of the some of the folks I worked with there, like Renee Gilkey. I'm not sure if you know any of them from the psych department. Maybe I didn't work too closely, like with professors or yeah, yeah. You were okay. more more study is is what I assume. Yeah, I mean, who are some of the others? Do you know Kim Wilcox? I'm not sure if that name rings a bell. Um, Angie Henderson. Oh. They got a large psych department. But, yeah. yeah, was it the undergrad program? Yeah, those were the folks I was working yeah. with. Yeah, okay. Yeah, is that what you majored in? No, it was actually a minor of mine. So. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I majored in business marketing, and then um, obviously when I got hurt, I kind of the NCAA only lets you go for four years if you get hurt and medically disqualified. Um, so mm-hmm. I I had an extra year to play around with because I could have graduated in three, um, but I figured I might as well use the fourth. Right. So I picked up a minor in psychology and uh, really found a passion for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I'm sure we're going to touch on that today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. So, I mean, just as a preface for my listeners, you know, we I've been fortunate to have a few what I would consider expert guests on the show and what we're going to be having to continue um, going forward with the show. And so... I wanted to mix it up a little bit, get some personal stories in there and, you know, not just hear a lot of educational material and just, you know, some of the, the higher cognitive type stuff when it comes to this, this sort of material. And so I wanted to get some personal stories and uh, Kendall was gracious enough to volunteer and and share some of his story with some of his stories with mental health. And um, yeah, so I'm going to kind of 
take more of a back seat with this episode and these types of episodes and i'm gonna let kendall kind of run the show and just jump in when needed so cool thanks josh yeah, yeah. um well hopefully it's it's equal part um you know kind of mentally stimulating but uh i'm sure i won't be able to provide as much uh, expertise as some of the other folks <laughs> that's not what i meant I know. I'm just oh my god um, I, I mean you got a stacked roster coming in the rest of the season so i'm excited to watch it yeah um but yeah <laughs> i'll i'll just kind of start from like like where i come from who i am i think it's really mm. important that when you when you start learning about people like understanding their base foundation is is a large driver to figure out like who they are how they got to where they are a lot of their ideals come from their childhood and like early on um so i'll start there and then just kind of walk you through all of that i yeah. think that's uh that's probably the best best way to go so um 100 let's hear it yeah so i'm the youngest of, <laughs> youngest of three three sons um my mom had three boys uh, bless her heart obviously that's a that's a tough feat to manage and uh being the only woman in the uh in the house was was obviously challenging but she did, uh, she created an environment where, you know, my, my brothers and I were able to be competitive, but also be collaborative, uh, and understanding and learn from each other while while sharing some, some mutual hardships and challenges. Um, you know, obviously being the youngest of three, I, I always was compared to my older brothers and they're both very brilliant individuals. I think back in high school, they had 4.4, 4.3 GPAs. So, um, very sharp, very sharp guys, but I was more yeah. of this, more of the social guy myself. So, um, you know, I remember that. I mean, obviously, your <laughs> brothers were a lot older than even not, you know, older than you, and definitely older than me. But I remember them being a little bit quieter. You've been a lot more outgoing, yeah. a lot more social and friendly. And yeah, they were. You know, they were. I, I mean, they they were all. They're both very social, but um, I just found like I found my soft people skills, I think, a little sooner than they mm -hmm. did. And, and obviously, like honed in on those. Um, not to say that if they listen to this, they, they can certainly hold a conversation. Uh, <laughs> sure. But, but, you know, it was it was it was interesting from a young age. I, I, I was challenged with like really diving into and understanding and, and observing them and their interactions. And I think being the youngest, I had that opportunity to like see how my my brothers interacted not only with my parents, but also also with like other adults within different uh, social interactions. And so it gave me an opportunity to just kind of shine and like, hey, I'm the youngest, pay attention to me, right? Um, mm, so yeah, so found that but at the same time, it was it was always this competitive environment of, you know, I was always kind of compared to my brothers, right? Like, hey, Tanner and Vaughn are both doing really well in math, science, English, right? Like, Kendall, why are you lacking? And these guys are over here getting mm. A pluses, B pluses, you know. Um, and I was getting Bs and Cs for some of the time, and and I found that that really challenging, right? Challenging for me because I right. always I always measured myself against what they were doing. Um, but what I failed to see at a young age was like, hey, we're all very different. We all have different skills. Um, whereas some of mine were and it like, probably. Uh, I was just going to say, it probably didn't help that we went to JA either. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. And for those of you who might not know what JA is, it's like a very small charter school. Um, roughly, I think when we were there, like what, like three to 500 students, maybe? Mm, not even 500, three to four, probably. Yeah, my, my, I mean, it was tiny. <laughs> yeah. My graduating class was like 80 some students, maybe. I don't know mm -hmm. if you got into the 90s. Mine was low 90s. Yeah. 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 And so mm -hmm. it was, you know, a smaller environment where, you really obviously had a chance to stand out and I was 
I was like six foot four. And, and like <laughs> definitely stood out yeah, like 250 pounds, probably back in high school. Um, but what I found was, you know, my, my skills, um, even though I, I you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself like laggard in the classroom. Like I'm sure I excelled in the classroom, B's, A's and C's. Uh, but most of my skills were more on that personal level and like the communication mm-hmm. style. And, you know, a lot of those aren't graded in school, right? A lot of the, a lot of the soft skills aren't graded in yeah. school and can't be measured. Um, and so like just had this challenge of appeasing my parents, um, because they were looking at a scorecard as opposed to like potential, like future potential outside of that scorecard. Um, and so I quickly found like my identity really became sports and like, that's what I wrapped myself in because I was larger than everybody else. Uh, I was, I was just like, to be humble, like I was a better athlete than most of the people that I knew. And um, mm-hmm. my identity started to become what I was doing, right? And that's sport. Um, and in like sophomore year of high school, I really started finding out that I had a I had a real potential to play collegiate collegiate athletics. Um, and so I really started honing in. I, I found a personal trainer. I was actually doing classes like during school hours. I was I was going over to the gym and I was working out with him. Um, this was during high school. Yeah, this was during high school. Wow. Um, Cause during high school, what all you were playing a lot of different sports. I remember. Yeah, it was, um, football, basketball, and then I got into track and field as well. I was right. like, the first thrower for, for JA. <laughs> That's what I remember. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I, I, I'm sure that Mrs. Malott wouldn't love me, me sharing this and maybe some of the other admin, but <laughs> I got approval to go work out with like Mark Sharpley and some of those folks to go over and work out with my trainer doing PE classes. So I got the mm-hmm. PE credit, but they made an exception and allowed me to like continue to hone in on my skill. And so this whole time, like growing up, I realized exceptions were being made for me because of, you know, the potential that I had and like completely grateful and like certainly, certainly appreciative of the opportunities I had. But, um, you know, when I, when I got to college, well, before that I was, I was actually named um, first team all Colorado as a high schooler, as a senior in high schooler, which essentially means like you are the best individual in your position within the entire state. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And it was like, it was a really cool, like riding a high. I was like, sure. Super excited. And, um, found well, it's uh, something to be celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But I, you know, looking back now, what I, what I think a lot of is like, there was no, um, you know, looking back, there was no, like, there was no push to explore myself outside of my sport, right? I think that even parents make the mistake of getting so involved and getting so excited about what their children are so good at, that they forget that that moment Mm -hmm. is exactly that. It's just a moment. And for a small fraction of people, like football was never going to be my entire life, right? Like 1% of 1% make it to the NFL, and even then, the, the shelf life of an NFL player is like two years max. Um, is it really that low? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, the average is like two to three years. Wow. And then in some cases, you'll see some outliers. But um, Sure. Yeah. And 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 so like the entire time, my, my life and my identity, it was just like sports, like continue mm-hmm. doing sports. And I remember, you know, studying for the SATs and the ACTs. It was like I almost put less of an emphasis on it because I had this avenue of sport. Um, and I, you know, sport was your future. Yeah. It was my life. Uh, yeah. I never skied. I I never really snowboarded. I didn't hike a ton. Like 
I tell people I'm the worst Coloradan you'll ever meet because I, <laughs> I went to Red Rocks for the first time when I was like well past college. Um, oh wow, yeah, yeah. So so it was it was it was interesting. I you know I, I saw what I was good at and I certainly started to explore it. And when I got into college, like exact exact thing happened that I think I anticipated was I started to shine on the football field. Um, mm. You know, I did really well in, in college courses over the summer. Uh, we went into this summer program. So I actually went straight from high school and moved up to Greeley uh, and started training with their football team like three months after graduation. So I was up there oh, wow. in the summer and I was taking summer courses at Greeley and I was actually excelling in the classes at that time, funny enough. So I was like a 4-0 student my freshman year in college. Naturally. I Well, I, I credit JA. Like, <laughs> I credit that high school because they prepped you. They ton. did some, some good things right. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, same, same thing. Like I was excelling in the classroom, uh, certainly better than I was in high school, but excelling mm -hmm. on the football field as well. Um, quickly was identified as one of the better offensive linemen at the university and uh, had some opportunity to compete with with some some older gentlemen who I eventually mm. would would take their spot. Um, but that kind of leads me to where the turmoil started happening. And uh, my my sophomore year, like going into my sophomore year of college playing football, I suffered multiple concussions. Um, I was like 18, 19 years old at the time. And wow. I had this opportunity in front of me to, to start for a division one program. Um, and, and really be like a key pivotal character on their offensive line. Um, and so I, you know, one, one day I remember going out and I remember the play, um, it was in practice and somebody, somebody hit me in the, in the temple, um, with their helmet, helmet to helmet hit me in the temple and I blacked out, uh, like just lost vision. I was standing up, but I couldn't see, but like, I was just wobbling. And I remember watching the film and just thinking like, when I was watching the film, I was kind of terrified thinking back to like that moment on the field and realizing I didn't, I didn't have vision. I didn't know where I was. I, I couldn't really remember a whole ton yeah. until afterwards. You were just completely disoriented. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, my trainer actually saw kind of the hit, saw how I reacted and pulled me off and he asked me if I was okay. And I, I kind of grew up in a household where you know, the expression rub some dirt on it was like ingrained into our culture and like our mind. And so at that time, it was like way before a lot of the concussion studies and, and protocol. Right. So I just looked at him being like an 18, 19 year old looking at playing division one football. And, and I told June, I, I said, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. I'll be okay. Put me back in. Mm. And I played a bit longer and symptoms got worse. And um, I remember walking in to uh into the facilities after that practice and our, our starting center at the time he knew something was off because the rest of the practice i was just like way out of it i wasn't performing as good as i usually did just jumping off sides and uh, he actually forced me into the training room uh he told my trainer he, he's like i think he has a concussion um he shouldn't he shouldn't step back on the field until he gets evaluated and um sure enough they they said i had a concussion uh, but I was like really hungry and I, I wasn't really thinking long-term for my future and my own sake. Uh, right. And so I, I, I was out for about two weeks in the summer and then I went back in to do the protocol to make sure I could get cleared to play. And I, I, yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, what, what was some of that protocol involved? Like, how did they check to make sure you were good? Yeah, so they do a baseline. Um, they do a baseline with concussions. But, like, at the beginning of the season, you get asked these questions. Like, say the months backward. Um, I forget mm. exactly all of them. Like, they do the eyesight thing. Um, and, I, you know, I, you'll see sometimes a lot of athletes will actually fudge their baseline so that if they get hurt, it's, like, tough to identify where that baseline really is because maybe they, and they'll do that intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. So that if they get, hurt, wow. they get pulled out. Um, and so the baseline was so pretty, interesting, pretty simple. Um, and then it's followed by just some like athletic, like more like trivial athletic, um, challenges and like running, running a few sprints, making sure your head's fine, doing some agility and making sure you're not like crazy headaches. And so as, as I was going through that baseline, like I, I knew I still wasn't fine. Like I felt the symptoms, uh, but I didn't, I didn't want to pull myself out. Um, I, I really, well, of course not. Yeah. 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 I mean, if this has some, been something that has been your literal identity, like who Kendall Ryan is, what he values, right? If this has been such a big part of your core self for, I mean, almost 20 years at this point, then it would be um, abnormal to do anything different. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why, <laughs> that's why I have this jersey hanging is like it always will be mm. it always will be a piece of me and you know I, I like to equate it to like more of a general audience it's like think about the thing you love most right like if you're an artist and you break both your hands like mm. what are you going to do for six months if, if art is your life if you're a piano player if you love running yeah. like there's so many different avenues of things that you could absolutely love and identify with and if that's taken from you um it's hopeless like it is a hopeless mm. hopeless feeling um and so i like to i like that when i tell my story i like to ask people like what's something you love like josh like right what's like what's one thing that you absolutely love well dude it's funny you bring this up because i mean by no means am i trying to compare my story to yours but it makes me think of when i was in high school I was, I was a big runner, right? And no means was as good of a runner as maybe you were uh, as a, a football player and as a basketball player. But um, I remember my, gosh, it would have been my junior year, um, the end of my junior year going into that track season. I was out that track season. I don't know if you remember that yeah. or if you were even, you might've even been graduated at that time. Um, but I was out because uh, my, I started, it was at that time that I started to injure my IT bands. Mm -hmm. So I injured both of my IT bands, which put me out for almost nine months, I think. Um, yeah. So all of the track season, all of the preseason cross country and starting into the cross country season. And I was miserable, man. I mean, again, I wasn't the best runner by any means. I was pretty average, which I'm, I'm okay with. Um, but it had just become such a huge part of my life where I relied on that community. I relied on, what running provided for me in terms of that runner's high that yeah. we'll talk about a lot. And it's, it's very comparable to football or at literally any other sport. And, um, but just relied on all the things that that sport brought for me and have that ripped away. It was, Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough where I was able to get back into it eventually. And I can, you know, still run today with, with some pretty mild pain, but it's, you know, to, to have that taken away forever. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. It's, it's impactful. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I want to be careful about how I phrase it and I, maybe I'll push it even a step further. It's like, you see a lot of parents, right. And 
Mm-hmm. And these parents that have kids, like the parents identity becomes their kids. And yeah. in some cases, like you see parents who lose kids and like, like kids will pass away and their parents will be absolutely devastated, rightfully so. And you'll see these parents get thrust into this like deep, dark pit because their child mm-hmm. that they love, like, and that's their life. Like that is a piece of them is gone. Um, and that's mm-hmm. like obviously a, a drastic step of sports. Sure. But yeah, but, it is. But at the same time, there's, there's some things we can connect with there. Right. Um, in that this, this was your child in a sense, this yeah. was something that, um, you loved deeply and just, it, it was just such a huge part of your life. It's, it's something you almost couldn't separate from. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, like to your point, I, I couldn't, and, and when I was hurt, like I went back and I, I faked my way back. Um, mm. and that, that ended up leading to worse symptoms. I got hurt even more. And like, I remember not being able to sleep some nights because of how bad it was. And at that point I ended up pulling myself out completely. Like I went to my trainer and I said, June, there's like, I'm not good. I shouldn't come back. And what that led to is like, I wasn't ready. Wow. I knew I wasn't. Um, I pushed through it. I didn't ask for help. Uh, and I was, I was like seriously in a bad spot. I had second impact syndrome at that point. Um, I was seeing that? second impact syndrome is essentially multiple concussions in a small amount of time. So, um, Oh wow. Typically okay. So you, you didn't have just the one concussion. You had a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Because I put myself back in before my symptoms had had the chance to, mm. to subside. Um, so they think it was anywhere from like two to four concussions within about a month period. Um, and I was seeing three different specialists at that time. I was seeing one for medicine, two for CAT scans and, and such. And then another that was a neuropsychologist um, who focused oh, wow. more, yeah. on, more on like a, a psychological conversation with me as well as like the, the brain itself and how that functions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he actually, I, I credit my life to was having the conversations I had with him. Um, he opened my eyes a lot. And like I yeah. I remember crying for the first time in front of him uh, because what had happened leading up to the, the season where I was supposed to be starting was my grandfather passed away that season. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather had always said, like, I can't wait to see you play in college. Um, yeah. And I just, like, I remember feeling so disappointed and like not only in myself but like i let people down and i let people down who just passed away and like had wanted to see me play football um Mm. and so i just remember like man this hopelessness and and this this disappointment in myself and and depression and like no one was gonna think i was good enough and without football kendall ryan is nothing right um and on the on the same token, the challenging thing about mental health and concussions, but but broadly mental health is you break an arm and everybody can see it. You know, everybody knows mm-hmm. that you have a broken arm. Everybody knows you're in crutches. But when you have an issue up here, in here, you can hide that. Like you can hide yeah. that. And no one will understand why you're acting different. No one will be able to see like what's truly going on unless you let them in. And right. And not only will they not see it, but they're going to judge you for it, right? They're going to make assumptions and judgments as to why you're acting that way. Because it, it has to be contributed to something, but 
we're, they're not going to take the time to listen to the stories to what. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I remember watching something more recently and it talked about anxiety and it was literally mm -hmm. like two days ago. I watched this. It talked about different signs of anxiety and forms of anxiety. And I remember like going through my concussions, I still had to be around the team, but I didn't feel like I was on the team. Like I felt like mm -hmm. I was very removed. I felt like I was isolated. And I felt like people were judging me because I was out with a concussion. And I look back now and like, I've hold, I've, I've actually held a, a lot of like disdain towards some of my teammates because they didn't like mm -hmm. make an effort to ask me how I was feeling. And in the back of my mind, all I assumed was they thought I was faking it. Right. Um, well, I mean, that makes sense. Like what role, like it makes sense why you would feel so disconnected and almost like rejected in a sense. Like what role has, you know, the team in a broad sense, whether that be with football or basketball or track, like what role has the team played for you just over the years? Yeah. Leading uh, up to this. I mean, at this point, like it was, it was pretty much everything. Uh, like going back to Pomona when I was playing in high school for Pomona. It was like we were the brotherhood of the big black. Like it was a brotherhood. Um, they were an extension of my family. Like my family would have my teammates over for dinners. Um, we would have meals together, you know, even in, in college, like moving on through my freshman and sophomore year, like there were kids who couldn't go home for Thanksgiving because they just couldn't afford the plane tickets sometimes. Right. And we would have them over. Like we'd invite all of these, all of these teammates over to my house and like, they'd come over and meet my cousins and every extension wow. of my family. So it's like, these folks were like family to me. Like they were, yeah, they were like, family. they were special. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I just, I, I, I actually spent some time thinking about it and I looked back and I thought to myself like, man, for the last three years, four years, I've been, I've been kind of upset with some of my teammates because like they never asked me how I was doing, but I realized like I was kind of, I, I placed that on them. Like I didn't open up. Um, mm. And like, you know, why would I, I played football? I, I was a big, strong man, right? Like, yeah, like I'm not, you can't have emotions. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can't have vulnerabilities. You can't uh, tell them what's really going on, right? You gotta be tough. You gotta be strong. You gotta be a man. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. It's all bullshit. Like, I don't know if it's okay if I cuss yeah. on here, but like, that's all bullshit. Oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah. It's toxic masculinity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's just like, it's so, I look back and I'm like, it's so disappointed. I'm dis like, I'm disappointed that, you know, I felt that way. And obviously for, for no other reason than like, I fell into this trap and like this thought process that like men don't cry. Men don't have emotions right. like such bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah. We well, I mean, it, it is right. There's a reason that men have the highest suicide rates, yeah. right? There's a reason that men are more mentally ill, right? More higher in terms of uh, schizophrenia, typically bipolar disorder, um, typically of some of those more extreme mental illnesses, right? There's, there's a reason. And there's a reason too, that um, they're not talking about it, right? Because of what our culture has kind of created this narrative that men shouldn't, they should have it all together, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially for the manly man. Like there's, there's definitely almost a difference between like, you know, how, uh, you know, 
how I viewed masculinity when I was in high school versus maybe how you did because I wasn't this big, strong football player. Right? I was yeah. this small bookish, <laughs> like, you know, nerdy teen who, you know, it's, it's, well, and it's then, how. And now look at us. Like we're both talking about yeah. the same thing, you know, <laughs> I, I just, it's, I, it's all bullshit. <laughs> I love to see, I just, I just, I love to see it come full circle. Right. Because it's like mm -hmm. the labels we put on ourselves in high school, right like versus now we're we're both adults and like you can see you know you can see a couple things in my mind like one it's it's a failure of past generations and maybe that's aggressive mm -hmm. but like it's a failure of past generations to allow us to think this way and bring us up thinking this way and 100 you know like understanding where that came from right like the generation before them they had it hard as well. They had the Great Depression. They had wars. Like they fought, right. and they came back from wars like war shattered, yeah. broken. Um, and that's all creating. the generational trauma that comes with that. And and we're gonna have our stuff that we carry on to our next generation. Exactly. And it's unfortunately just a broken cycle of of humanity. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But you know, it's it's interesting to just like take a step back and really analyze like. Like, why are we the way we are? And I think that that's like one of the passions outside of sport, outside of work that I've found is like really connecting with me and understanding why I think the way I am. And most of that time, mm -hmm. it goes back to my childhood um, and and this specific topic with, with football. Um, you know, when I was when I was talking to um, Gregory Thwaites, I think it's OK. I use his name. He was the neuropsychologist I was working with. Phenomenal man. Um, if you, oh, yeah. if you have a chance to talk to him here, like I would strongly recommend it. He's a yeah, brilliant, brilliant I'll get his man. info after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember him asking me, Kendall, do you really think that your grandfather would be disappointed that you chose mm -hmm. your life and your mental health over a game? Uh, and this mm -hmm. was after, after my grandfather passed and I was in his office, like crying like a like sure. just, just crying and he asked me that question just straight candidly and i remember in that moment like not wanting to answer him honestly because like from a logical perspective absolutely my grandfather would be so happy mm. that i chose my life over a sport um but i had just this this idea and this concept and i built up this image of who kendall is and uh the current state of my life wasn't who i thought i was and right. you know Dr. Thwaites took it a step further and he said, uh, he said, do you think nobody else feels this way? Right. And mm -hmm. this is where he challenged me. And, and I think he knew, like, he, I think he, at this point he knew who, like he knew the type of individual I was and like my thought process. And I think he got comfortable to a point where he could kind of challenge me. And, and that was really like, honestly, Josh, that was one of the most impactful comments that he made those two back to back because what it did was it, it allowed me one to accept the fact that like the preconceived notions I had of myself and the preconceived notions I thought my own family wanted to see from me were all things that I made up in my head. And I had an opportunity yeah. now to basically make who, who, who Kendall Ryan really is and like invent myself. I, you know, he kind of phrased it as an opportunity, but at the same <laughs> time, he tied in this community aspect of like, do you really think that nobody else feels this way? And I left mm -hmm. that, I left that meeting with him and I really started thinking and I started thinking like, it's a really good point. Like, there's gotta be other people who feel this way. Like collegiate athletics is, is a full-time job and it's stressful and 
you have people competing for spots and literally competing for money to get colleges paid for. And you have people coming from like ghettos. You have people right. coming from Compton. You have people coming from the worst parts of Florida. And this is their, this is like their chance to get out of a really bad situation. And like people are fighting mm. for these opportunities and that causes yeah. a lot of stress. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of took that, that question that he posed, like, do you really think you're the only person who feels like this? And I ran with it and I actually started doing interviews with a lot of, <laughs> really, I, I did a lot of interviews with a lot of different athletes, probably over a hundred across the nation. Um, and what I ended up finding was like, I think the number was anywhere between 95 to 99% of the athletes I interviewed all self-prescribed. So it's like no doctor was involved. Like it's just sure, sure. All of them had identified or felt some form of anxiety, some form mm. of depression, and just been stuck. Like just been stuck mentally and had no one to turn to and no one to talk to. Mm. Felt like they couldn't. And I realized, like in that moment, when when I started like collecting these surveys and answers, like I just realized how broken everyone really was and mm -hmm. is quite frankly um and in this weird in this weird twisted way it like made me feel more close to everybody than i ever felt because mm -hmm. i was talking to people who had to compete in tournaments like a day after their mother passed away as oh, wow. talking to people who had failed tests and like couldn't get over the fact that they failed a test, but then had to go play the next day. Like, you know, right. you had this, you had and this when you're in college, it's not a choice, right? I mean, it's not like when you're in high school, it's like, Hey, you know what? I, I can't run in today's meet. I can't, you know, play today's game. Like you, you have to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, you run the risk of, if you don't play, like what's going to happen in my position, right? Like if I'm mm. a starter, like, if I don't show up, I'm going to lose my spot. Right. And like, I had some pretty interesting conversations with some coaches when I pulled myself out. Um, and I'll, I'll save some of those conversations, but like, they weren't pretty conversations. Like I had coaches mm -hmm. asking me why I pulled myself out. Um, and you know, I remember looking at one of my coaches, um, who was from a different generation and had his own struggles. And I just, I candidly told them, I said, I care more about my life than I do your job. Um, mm. And that was like, that was a wow. moment where I really felt like, you know, really felt like I, I was doing the right thing for me. Um, but it was tough. Like I was 19. Yeah. I was just <laughs> going to say, how hard was that? <laughs> like, it was really hard to, to just like put my foot in the ground and be like, I need to look at the rest of my life. Like I saw, I saw collegiate athletes leaving facilities at graduation and they were walking like they were 60 years old because of what sports did to their body. Like they were getting cortisone wow. shots in their back because they had slip discs and they had to play on the next weekend. Like it's a broken system. Um, the NCAA, mm. and, and I, I might get backlash for this, the NCAA does not prepare their athletes to transition out of sport like by any means mm -hmm. necessary. They, they absolutely don't. Um, and we ended up founding an organization at UNC called Bear Strong that did just that it was you did that yeah it was myself and then some of the folks that i'd mentioned <laughs> earlier what the heck i've <laughs> seen that before yeah 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 so that was um that was actually a, a kind of a a work that that myself and renee gilkey and uh james henderson 
uh, like we spearheaded oh, that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we spearheaded that and we modeled it after the University of Michigan. Uh, University of Michigan was the first, the first collegiate uh, program that had kind of built this program about like helping athletes transition from sport to like, who the hell are you supposed to be now? Like, mm. you've been this athlete for 20 years. Like, you're not right. going to the league. You're not going to play NBA. You're not going to play in, you know, the, the Olympics. It's a, so who are you? Um, and they, mm-hmm. I think they ended up hiring a, a couple, a couple folks to run that. Um, but that was like, yeah, that was, that was something that I, I loved setting up. And I just realized looking back, like the forums and the avenues of allowing us to have those conversations and like share our stories and be broken is so like, it's so important because without it, you know, you feel isolated and you need to have those forms mm-hmm. and that sense of community to, yeah. to really move past, move past those things. I mean, you're you're 100 right. Research shows that the one of the biggest factors towards, in this case, post traumatic growth, uh, is getting engaged and getting reconnected with community. Right? We're built for relationships. We can't do life alone, and so it's it's so hard when you're struggling with depression and anxiety. And for you coming off of this pretty severe head trauma, yeah, yeah, and it 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 you know it it's still like the interesting thing is that portion of my life will probably always be part of me. And I tell people like, when you think about depression and you think about anxiety, like it's never going to go away. Like I firmly believe Mm. like it will be with me, but it's not a crutch anymore. It's more of like, it's a tool, you know, it's a tool Mm. to relate to people and to really open up conversations. And I mean, I've been, I've been on customer calls where I've just like candidly told people about some of the things in my past. And, you know, it has nothing to do with business and it has nothing to do with driving bottom line revenue for these companies, these (laughs) fortune 500 companies, but it's like, right. It is, it is arguably like one of my favorite things about my job is when I can have a conversation with a customer where Mm. it's like, I'm not okay today. And the customer is like, well, mm-hmm. like are we supposed to be talking Fake about smiles how can... and, and pretending <laughs> like we always have it together? Stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's refreshing when I can, when I can do that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it allows me to, to really connect in a, in a more deeper manner than, than I was, you know, back when I was in high school or college and going through that. Um, and really just like one, I think, in order to have the deep conversations, it's challenging. And it's challenging for two reasons is because it takes two parties and it takes two parties to actually heal. I think like, first of all, you have to be willing to heal. But secondly, like you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And that is by far, that was the hardest thing for me, Josh was like, my family didn't know that I had depression and I had anxiety and I had suicidal thoughts until probably about three years after the fact. Um, and they, they learned about that from a, from a speech I gave. Um, and like my, I think my parents were in the background crying, (laughs) like, like absolutely crying because they had no, they had no clue, like what I had been through. And, um, you know, shame, you know, I should have, I should have been more comfortable being open, but again, it goes back to that environment, you know? Um, I wanted to normalize some of that for you. I mean, it yeah. is just so, I mean, as a counselor, it's so common for me to get that experience um, when I'm meeting with, with adolescents, especially um, even today, you know, I have one adolescent who on my caseload, young teen male um, 
<laughs> excuse me, yeah. who is a polysubstance user, um, multiple sexual partners, and um, parents don't know, right? <laughs> and it's it's a, it's a pretty intense situation, right? Because yeah. at what point do we balance safety and all that? But I digress. Yeah. I mean, that's getting yeah. more into different details, but um but like parents don't know and just the amount of discomfort he has yeah. to even bring this up because like oh what like what if um what if they find out right and what if they found out right that's that's the question i feel like and and knowing your family a little bit yeah. i you know i can't obviously speak much and maybe you could speak more to this but like um you know it, it seems like you came from a supportive family i it, why don't why don't you take over from here? Like, what what was your family environment like? Like, were they supportive of you talking about these sort of things? Like, was it more of this self perception of like I feel like I can't open up, or was it a reality of like I can't open up? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know I think there's a few mm -hmm. things to, to be said. Um, one, it was it was a perception on my end of like if I do open up, how, how will it impact them? Right, like they have their own lives, right. and when you're in when you're in college, you're in this transition phase of like, I'm an adult, I need to handle my shit on my own. Um, and so you know, and my family's very much the same way. Like if they have issues, like we didn't we didn't talk much about like therapy. We didn't talk much about like, hey, if somebody's mad, like why are they mad? Like, let's talk through it. That wasn't really it. It was just like, if somebody's mad, you'll know mm -hmm. they'll, you, you will know that they're mad at you. Um, but you won't know, like, sometimes you wouldn't know why. Right. Um, sometimes you wouldn't know, like, how to get over it, how to get past it together. It was more just like time would pass and things would blow over. And so sometimes it was like, it, there wasn't very much of a, a dialogue um, of challenges within my family. And so, you know, it was, sometimes uh, it. there was yelling and yeah, sometimes my there family was screaming was the exact and same. <laughs> did a really good job at like putting on, yeah, putting on a, a public yeah. face of like, we're a perfect family. Yeah. Like <laughs> every, everyone's well really good at pretending, man. Like everybody's better con artists than they think they are. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could. Like, I didn't feel like I could go to my family. Uh, one, I didn't want them to get too involved. Mm. And two, I had this perception in my mind of like, this is something I need to work through and I need to work through it alone. And once I do, I'll be a man and I'll be able to take care of myself. Mm. But, you know, what that led to was like, shit, I, I sure figured out how to be a man. And it was not what I thought it was. It was, it was a lot of crying. It was a lot of like, a lot of really looking mm. at my life and like where I was and and building a community of support, which I found outside my family. Um, and I've realized mm -hmm. now that really we have two separate families, right? We have our blood family and then we have our chosen family. And sometimes our chosen family can actually be more supportive than our blood family. Um, and so it was, it, it was an interesting like realization. And, right. and as I think about like why I didn't talk to my family, it was because sometimes like, family can be the most judgmental or we can feel the most judged by our family. Yeah. Um, might and not that can be true, okay. Right. I mean, I, found most that's, I think that's just what's so special about our chosen um, family, right. Or these 
different, yeah, but, you know, close friendships that we yeah. have with, with friends. Those are the only relationships that we get to choose, right? Um, we don't get to choose our family. We don't get to choose who our coaches are, or who our teachers are, right? We get to choose who our friends yeah. are. Right, which is why friendships cause so much drama, so much turmoil, because right. these are the relationships we really want, right? Yeah. Until we grow up a little and start to realize maybe that we do want <laughs> relationships with our parents or whoever else. But um, yeah. yeah, those social those those social relationships, those what you say that chosen family is just yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think looking back now, like I realized that the, the six, the thing that helped me get over, not get mm. over the thing that helped me deal with it was more of the amount of people I interacted wow. with. And like, I expanded my, my circle, I don't know, like maybe tenfold during this time. Um, and I like, I diversified who I was talking to. I, you know, I wasn't just talking to my teammates. I was talking to folks across the nation. I was talking to specialists. I was talking to my, I was mm -hmm. talking to my professors about it. And I mean, there were professors who, who really knew like what was going <laughs> sure. on with me. Um, one of my professors was right. playing golf with my neuropsychologist and obviously there was no overlap, but like he, like he knew that I was in that office. Like he knew I was wow. going to see the specialist and. And because of that, like, man, he still checks on me to this day. And I think about the string of the string of people that I opened up to and I had to choose to open up to, which was incredibly difficult. Like like coming out of depression and dealing mm -hmm. with mental mental yeah. struggles. I really think mm -hmm. the hardest step for individuals is just talking and just saying it because we think we're going to be judged. And, and I, I was mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised looking back at like how accepting and caring my people were. And as I started to share what I found was like, wow. I had, I had, I had friends, parents coming to me and telling me their mm -hmm. shit. And that's, that's when I knew, like, that's when I knew how, how impactful it is to share your stories is when I had. I had a mother mm. of a friend of mine come to me and talk to me about she miscarried. She talked to me a lot about like what happened through that miscarriage. Wow. And, like this was yeah. years ago. And, and some of the things that she wanted to do from a legislative standpoint to change mm. stuff. And she was like, I'm, I'm so afraid to tell my story. Like, how did it, like, Stop. how are you doing? Yeah. And I remember like she said, how cool. The first time she got up in front of a legislative like one of the whatever, like the local government. Yeah, she sent me a clip and like, like she, it was, oh my God, dude. Like I, I get chills. Like right now I have chills thinking about her doing that. And like the first time she did it, like she couldn't do it, but she wrote down everything and her husband got up and delivered the speech mm -hmm. for her. But the second time she got up there and she's, she's like, man, it was like, that was like sharing our stories and like getting past the fear and mm -hmm. the self-doubt that we have is where you start finding like peace and you start finding community. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was arguably the most impactful thing for me. It was like, I just had to be okay with being broken and I had to believe, and I had to take a leap of faith of like the people yeah. that I share this with, they might be uncomfortable, 
some of them might not react the right way. Need love and acceptance. Open and honest dialogue of like, I don't need your judgment. Like, I just need you to love me right now. And I just need you to listen. Yeah. And Mm. the the professor that I alluded to earlier, he's actually, he was one of the people who told me like, I needed a personal mission, mission statement, like moving forward. I needed to figure out like, which will be in the episode description. So, Um, and that's, I loved it. You know, that was the quote I had sent you. Uh, Was it? Yeah. 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 Like I, yeah, I I created that in college and I just like, it allowed me to separate Mm. myself from me and it allowed me to like, take this, this more like, right universal perspective i guess of of like mm-hmm. how 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 i can step outside myself and make an impact on other people because like at the end of the day i I'm hope you don't please don't but i'm not gonna be but, here I could, but you're like, right i mean podcast, it's, I walk it really just brings up these existential it, like, thoughts and questions of like, okay, what <laughs> is the purpose of my life right that. you know thinking back to your story around you know football being your identity and and then entering this period where you can't play anymore this part of your identity can't be a thing anymore and it brings up these all these different questions of like okay so what is the purpose of my life then right and it's this ongoing question that we as humans are just constantly trying to figure out yeah Mm. i uh i heard something recently again i i've been watching and listening to a lot of podcasts and it was it was that question of what is the purpose of life and the answer that was given was to observe the passage of time yeah and i thought that was just mm-hmm. like so simple but so yeah like so deep and profound at the same time like the purpose of life is to observe the passage of time mm. but i i like to think about that and take it a step further it's like what are you doing with your passage of time like we all will inevitably pass pass on. Um, yeah. How, when, and what is a mystery. Mm. But like, what are you doing while you observe time pass? And yeah, you, that makes me you, think of something I just you, read. Like, what are you doing um, with that? This I've been um, reading. I, I just recently finished couple, this book by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Buddhist monk. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He that's that's my quote for my show. Is is a quote he gave and. Um, I was reading his book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, yeah. and um, kind of kind of similar to what you're talking about. I think it just it kind of stirred in me. Um, but he brings up this idea of uh, he he kind of shares this anecdote, right? Of um, when we wash the dishes, right at home. Why are you washing the dishes, right? Are you washing the dishes so in his in his words, so you can go have a cup of tea? Right. And typical, you know, Eastern Buddhist monk style, right. For me and probably go and watching a Netflix show. <laughs> right. But are you, are you washing the dishes so they can go do these other things to get it out yeah. of the way? And so you can go really live your life. Right. right. <laughs> or are you washing the dishes to wash the dishes? Right. Because if we're not washing the dishes to wash the dishes, then we're, we're not living life. Right. We're not capable of living in our present moment and living in our reality because we're so focused yeah. on, okay, let me get this yeah. out of the way so we can go do this. Right. What's what Tick Not Han said? Yeah. Tick Not Han says he's got a wild name. Um, is again, just centered around this concept of mindfulness about who you're with in the moment, what you're yeah. doing, how you're spending that time. 
that's the most important things, right? Um, he goes into so many more stories that are so beautiful, I think. But that one, I, I really connected, I think, with what you were yeah. saying. And it just, yeah. these, this whole concept of like, it, this pa- life should be about the passage of time. And, and oof, I really, I really love that. <laughs> mm. I do too. It's like, yeah. it, it simplifies things tremendously in this time where like, you know, we've been at home for three years, practically. And like, you know, I've still been working away on my freaking MacBook, sending out emails and talking to customers. And it's like, it's not really what yeah. life's about, man. Like the last three years, it's been, what am I doing with my time? And a lot of that has been travel. Um, I've been blessed to have that. And like, I think through that travel, what I've found too, is mm, like, well said. perspective. I think a lot of people forget <laughs> how big and how diverse our nation is like, man, I've, I've met some, I've met some fascinating people in our own backyard and it's been because of COVID that I've been able to like have some Mm. conversations where like prior to this, I would, I would think that I'd need to expand my knowledge outside. But man, I mean, just what a beautiful story. Um, what a beautiful narrative of a life you've lived where, um, you know, going from, from football just being everything right into the concussions to the growth that's come from that. I mean, uh, what tremendous growth that not a lot of people can share in, you know, not a lot of people can say, you know what, I've been through these struggles and I've gotten past that. I've grown through that and, and come out not only just alive, but better from it. And, and that's what I'm hearing is that you are just better from it. You have grown from these experiences and that's, that's something that's so cool, something to celebrate. Mm. yeah yeah i appreciate that and it uh it takes a village as they say um i couldn't have done it alone and like for anybody else who listens to your podcast like Mm -hmm. i hope if they get anything from any of any of the episodes that they watch it's like isolation is the worst thing yeah you know you're never going through something alone and never think you are and well said, find well said, my friend. Just tell one well, person. Hey, it starts with one Kendall, person. Kendall, thank you. you yeah, thank person. you so, so much. Yeah, I had a lot of fun just yeah. talking with you. Not even just about your story, but just about Man, life and, awesome. and just existential things. Me. I mean, this was a lot of fun. Beautiful. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was no. honestly, man, I was kind of thinking, I was like, I, I know what he thinks of when I get up here and talk about like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't keep in touch through social media. I, I follow like, you. I'm, I'm, you know, um, you know, it's funny. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I keep up with all the, you know, the oh, things good. we like so to highlight the out there. No, dude, it's, this was fun. I mean, I'm glad we got to get reconnected, and I hope we can continue forward with this. So, 